Elway became my idol like that summer. And I, I used to walk around Torrey Pines High School pigeon toed and, uh, <laughs> you know, thinking like, man, if I walk like this dude, I might start playing like them. Visa, a network working for everyone. Overcoming the odds, rewriting the playbook, delivering under pressure. The MVPs of small business lead their teams to victory all year long. Visa is proud to provide playmakers everywhere with more tools to help grow their businesses and help them achieve even greater success. Because the more people we can empower, the more we all win. Visa, a network working for everyone. Welcome back to Beyond the X's and O's. And today you probably clicked on saying, wait a second, John Lynch, he's not a quarterback. Uh, well, you'd be wrong. John Lynch is a quarterback at heart, and he played one in high school. And we talk all about his quarterback journey and how it led to a Hall of Fame uh, safety career. Uh, and now the general manager of the San Francisco 49ers. We started Torrey Pines his high school. We talk about a devastating broken ankle that he suffers his senior year as he's being highly recruited studying John Elway 16 millimeter tape a crossroads in life when he gets to Stanford and has to choose between baseball and football a conversation with Bill Walsh uh, where he shows him Ronnie Lott tape and says hey you can be like this guy uh, we talked to him about his journey through the NFL and playing against some of the great quarterbacks and think about his era that he played in, playing against the Elways, the Marinos, the Farves, week in and week out. I was there with him, watching it uh, from the sideline. And then obviously his time as a general manager of the 49ers, how he evaluates quarterbacks, and then the special one they just drafted in Trey Lance. But most importantly, we get into his family and how important his family has been on his journey. I think you'll really enjoy this conversation with Hall of Famer John Lynch. Well, let's welcome in Hall of Famer, and one of my best friends on the planet, uh, John Lynch. John, thanks for being on Beyond the X's and O's. Well, I'm honored, Trent. You know, I, I guess I, uh, I'm getting used to being called a Hall of Famer, but I, I think it's a little unusual. People might be wondering, why is this guy on? He didn't play quarterback, and uh, uh, I did just way back when. <laughs> and let's get right into that. I, I think the coolest thing about this show so far has been the storytelling of some of the Hall of Fame quarterbacks and how excited they've gotten when I've asked them questions about their high school experience. So uh, for those that don't know, John was a big-time high school quarterback at Torrey Pines High School uh, in San Diego and also a great baseball player. Uh, we'll get into that as well. But as a quarterback, John, can you remember that first high school start? And if so, like walk us through the feeling. Walk us through what game night was. Uh, walk us through the emotions. And then your first, you can segue yourself, get us to your first ever high school touchdown pass as well. Okay. So I think this is probably appropriate, but my first high school start, um, you know, this is an interesting thing. I was always, you know, I was a September 25th birthday. And uh, back then you just kind of, you went to school. And so I went early. So I was always the youngest in our class. And so there was a rule in California where you had to be 15 years old to play varsity football. So my sophomore year, I couldn't play for the first three games. And then I came in game three or four. Um, and uh, I, I played as a, we had a senior quarterback. So I was, I played linebacker that year. And uh, so my first start was as a linebacker. I played the rest of the, that year as linebacker. 
got in a couple games as a uh, as a quarterback just in in mop up duty, but then after that year uh, going into my junior year, I hit my big growth spurt. Uh, you know, went to a bunch of camps and really started getting recruited as a quarterback because that's how you did it back then. Recruiting wasn't what it is now, and you, you went to camps and basically if you got Notre Dame on you. Uh, everybody was on you because they were kind of king then. And I went to the Notre Dame football camp going into my junior year. And uh, I never forget, we played this game, cool game where, and Lou Holtz was there. He's one of those coaches. It wasn't just the Lou Holtz football camp. He was there every day. His son, who was coaching at Florida State, Skip Holtz, happened to be like my group leader. And I think Skip kind of unselfishly said, Dad, you got to check this kid out. But they had this drill they did with every kid in the camp where they put one kid at the goal line on this side, 100 yards away, or excuse me, at the 50, they put another kid and it was tagged to get to the other side of the, of the, uh, you had to go 100 yards and they just eliminated, you got like 350 kids. Well, I ended up winning that and Lou Holtz basically right there offered me a scholarship, you know, he said, look, I don't know if you're a quarterback, but I want you on my team and, and, uh, so then I go on, play my junior year, and people ask, like, what did we run? Well, our, our coach was a great coach, a guy named Rick Haynes. He was at my Hall of Fame deal. But Rick was kind of old school Nebraska, so we ran a little veer. But he'd go to camps, and we'd pick. So we were like veer, running. We were all over the place. And, <laughs> and uh, we just did everything. And, um, you know, but really, I, I hadn't thrown the ball a lot. Um, I start getting recruited fairly heavily. When I threw it, I threw it fairly well. And then my senior year, um, a guy named Jack Newmeyer, who's not with us anymore, but he was John Elway's high school coach and really one of the innovators of the uh, run and shoot offense. Um, college coaches swore by this guy. They'd go visit him um, because he was so far ahead in the passing game. He, he was up in a place called Fallbrook, California, north of San Diego. And he, I think he at the time, like 76 years old, wanted one more year of coaching and he wanted to find you know, a player that he wanted to work with. And he called our coach out of the blue and said, hey, I'd like to come be a coordinator for one year. I've watched John throw, you know, play. And, and uh, if you'd have me, I'd love to do it. So we were running the run and shoot. And it was unbelievable, Trent. We, we lined up in these scrimmages and we'd go empty. And back then, people freak out on empty. They didn't know what to do. And, and you'd just literally take a shotgun and go, doop, and there's 30 yards. And so in these two scrimmages, I threw for like 500 and 550 yards. I'm thinking in my first game, and I'm, I know I'm kind of blabbering, but I'm just going stream of conscious. In my first game in the first quarter, we're playing University High School in San Diego. And uh, I go back for a screen pass. I get caught up because I'm inviting the rush and I snap my ankle in my first game of my senior year. And I think I had already had 130 yards passing and a couple touchdowns. And I go, oh my, I'll never forget, like, you know, my dad came on the field because I couldn't get up. I went to get up and my like foot stayed on the ground. And I thought right there, like all my hopes and dreams are gone. And, uh, you know, my dad's down there. I'm sobbing, literally thinking, uh, you know, I'm going to lose every scholarship. And, and fortunately, uh, you know, I, Lou Holtz hung in there and said, I probably off that camp experience, we're not wavering on our scholarship. You're, you've got a scholarship to Notre Dame. And everybody else kind of said, well, if they are, we are. And so, but I really never had that, that senior year of high school, never really got to throw the ball. Um, I do, going back to my first touchdown, um, you know, in my sophomore year, I, I you know, I, I threw one and, 
you know, it was, it was, uh, we ran a lot of the option and it was one of those where you rode, rode heavily in the tight end, just a little pop pass. That was it. So that's kind of my high school career. And I, I went to Stanford as a heavily recruited quarterback. Denny Green had taken over, you know, like was the number two quarterback from the day I went there. I played early in my, in my freshman year. Um, and you know, back then you'd lose your red shirt um year and i i didn't end up i they burned my red shirt year i remember my dad being really hot with denny green because they burned my red shirt but didn't make me the starter um so that's kind of my my quarterback journey and then we can get into later on you know kind of what happened well it's really interesting i want to dive into two things go backwards a little bit and dive into two things um because your journey is bigger than that and because it can relate to so many kids that maybe this week get hurt Last week they got hurt their senior year, and they're, they think that their dreams are shattered. They think that everything's going away because they face a big piece of adversity. Dig in a little bit to what that was like after you break your ankle your senior year and just kind of the, the mental battle that went on with your future because you're getting ready to play your senior year in baseball too, and that's the next thing I want to talk about is your, uh, how dominant you were as a baseball player and how that doing the two sports helped you uh, in your athletic journey. So what was that adversity like? So let's go Saturday after that game, you break your ankle for like the next six weeks. It has to be a tough, tough ride there. Yeah, I remember just being in one of the, the biggest funks I've ever been in, in my life. And, you know, my dad, my dad's kind of old school and, um, you know, consoled me for the weekend, as did my mom. And Monday morning, you know, it was, hey, get your ass up. We're having a talk. Um, and that talk, um, you know, it was basically stop feeling sorry for yourself. You're facing something called adversity and you're going to face adversity in your life. And, and Johnny, this is going to be the best thing that ever happened to you, you know, only if you make it that, and you know, life is about when adversity hits, which it will, it's, you know, it's not, if it, it will, how are you going to respond? And, you know, I think I, I spent the rest of that day kind of figuring out, all right, he's right. How am I going to go about this? And I just decided that very day that I'll never be outworked in my life. And, and I'm going to find a way to get back my senior year. I did for the playoffs. I was a statue. I couldn't get out of the pocket uh, because I had surgery on my fibula. They put some pins in there. And I think six weeks later, I played in a playoff game. And, um, you know, it was a statue, but threw for a bunch of yards and, and, you know, I had hit my goal. And, and so I do think that was, you know, you talk about seminal moments in your life and not how I wanted my senior year to go, but I think I grew so much from that experience because that thing called work ethic, that's so important. I, I always had worked hard, but I turned it up a notch right there because probably those words that my dad, you know, how, you know, Hey, enough feeling sorry for yourself. There's people in this world who have real problems. You don't have a problem in the world. You had a little injury, which is a bump in the road. Now it's what you do with it. And, and really, I, I think I kind of grew up, became a man that day and said, no, I'm all right. I'm going to take this thing head on. And I worked so dang hard, you know, with Peter Goscue, who, you know, he was very integral in my rehab. I did traditional rehab and I got myself back where I played in that, those playoffs. And so it was a great, I think, lesson for me. Oh, so much to unpack there. I mean, I'm really hoping that one of the things that comes out of this show is you get a lot of young kids listening. And and there's so much to learn with that time with your dad. I mean, I see it all the time that they, these young people are getting hit with adversity and they start to feel sorry for themselves. And the yeah. self-pity holds them back from the opportunity that comes with 
adversity and, and such such a seminal moment, as you said, when your dad and mom sit you down and say, listen, quit feeling sorry for yourself and how bad do you want this? Um, right. And so many young people these days, so many young athletes, it's like they they talk about it, but can they be about it? Especially when tough things happen and, and you're a great example of, you know, you wanted something really bad. Something bad happened. It didn't matter. It was how you dealt with it. You moved on. And as you said, it poured gasoline uh, on your work ethic. And I'll just say this about John, everybody. I say this all the time to my team here at Lipscomb. I've spoken around the world about this. I use John as an example all the time. Uh, him, Ray Lewis, uh, without a doubt, the two hardest workers I have ever been around. John, probably number one. John did more extra um, things to get ready for a game than any uh, human I'd been around. Uh, played six years with him, saw him go through great adversity, saw him change positions when he got to the NFL, uh, saw him become a – how many Pro Bowls did you make? Nine, 10, 11, 12, something like that? Made nine of them, yeah. Nine, yeah, and the, the work behind the scenes, uh, nobody works like John Lynch. So when he said – he had a good work ethic, but this really accelerated it. I think that there's an opportunity for every young person that goes through some tough stuff to quit feeling sorry for yourself and use this opportunity to, to grow, um, become more like John Lynch. So, Well, I'm flattered by that, Trent. You know, the one thing I'll say, you know, I thought about it a lot in Canton, uh, you know, uh, a month ago or where, whenever that was that, uh, you know, I was inducted. And I think of my Hall of Fame class, which is a special one. I mean, I'm flattered to be in the Hall of Fame, but – to go in with this class of Peyton Manning, Charles Woodson, Calvin Johnson, Tom Flores, Alan Fanica, pretty special class. But I think people see a guy like Megatron, right? And you know what was fascinating to me? And it, I wasn't surprised to hear the stories with the people that were at him of his work ethic. You don't just get to places in life. I don't care how talented you are. Uh, Peyton Manning was obviously gifted you know people laugh like he wasn't an athlete but he was extremely gifted but we all know about the cerebral nature of his game and then the, the work ethic that he pushed I think that's well documented but to hear a Calvin Johnson and yeah he is Megatron but the work that he put in hearing it from his family hearing it from his friends from his coaches um, same thing with Tom Flores hearing that of Charles Woodson who's another you know uh, you know physical freak but it was the work ethic, the extra that he did. And so there's, you know, it's really, it's not coincidence when people have success in anything in life, there's, there's requisite talent. You know, Kyle talks a lot about, you know, do you have the talent to be in the club at this level? You have to have a certain amount, but then what are you gonna do with that? And that's really what separates people and, and makes people true. That's what makes greatness. Yeah, we talk a lot around here about the lonely work the work that nobody sees you do, the stuff you don't post on Instagram, the stuff that isn't celebrated, the stuff that isn't talked about in the media. And you talk, you called it extra. Um, and that's something that I saw you do. And I really kind of came up with that term watching you and some of the Hall of Famers I played with. I think you're number 10 now of the Hall of Famers I played with. So although I was never great, I got to play with a lot of greatness. And, and one of the consistencies was – not just the hard work that everybody else does. To me, that's kind of the standard. Like, you should do that. Yeah. It's, the, it's the lonely stuff. I mean, I remember seeing you do those Agoscu exercises. I would do them for 40 minutes, and you'd do them for two hours. <laughs> I would see the extra lifts on Mondays when your body was beat up. I would see the extra backpedal drills after practice. 
the eye work that you work on with Herm, the communication you work on with Rondé and Derek, and um, just the little things that as your peer at the time, but looking across going, man, maybe we need to do more of that. Maybe that's why they're dominating on defense and we're floundering on offense. So, uh, so many great lessons there. I bet you that lonely work and that overall work ethic is one of the reasons why you're a great baseball player, too. And one of the things we're really trying to hit on this show is the, the, the power of the dual sport athlete and all the lessons learned um, by playing other sports. So uh, we got all the time in the world. So take your time on just the value of the other sport sports uh, and how that uh, helped accelerate your overall athletic development. Yeah, I'm such a believer in that trend. And it's, a, it's you know, as a parent to four kids, you see them behind me in that picture. You know, a couple of them are college athletes right now, but the, the pressure at an early age to focus on one sport, um, it's tough too, because you do feel like if I don't focus on one, other people are going to pass me up and that can happen. Um, but I, I do think in every respect, uh, probably more than anything mentally, I, it was just fun the way we grew up where you'd go from one sport to the next, it kept it fresh. Uh, aside from the physical benefits, I mean, I think one of the reasons I was heavily scouted as a pitcher in baseball was because I grew up throwing a football. And what do you do? You 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 pronate your hand like that to throw a football. Well, I naturally had great every scouting report I ever saw of me as a pitcher. He's got a live arm, and his ball movement's crazy. And that's because traditionally you throw a baseball like that. Well, I kind of naturally threw it like that. So I had tremendous sync to my, you know, so there's a tangible example of like how playing one sport made me made something very attractive. And it was a skill that I had. And it just kind of happened naturally because the way I was taught to throw a football transferred over to the way I threw a baseball. And so, but, you know, it started as a young age with soccer. You know, I think uh, I started playing soccer and such a great sport for hand eye to build a base of, of uh, you know, you, the soccer players, you just run. You run all day long. Uh, played basketball at the Boys and Girls Club. We used to call it snuffy basketball. I wasn't the hooper you were. I was more of a rebounder and, and get up in people's face and, and frustrate them uh, playing defense. But, um, you know, I played everything, and it made it fun. I think, I think back to some of the greatest memories was my dad being my baseball coach. And after every game, he'd take us to Tony's a call, you know, Mexican food down in the barrio or pizza. And those memories of having all the families, that's how we grew up. It's what we knew. You know, I think, like I said, it kept it mentally fresh. But I I think every sport enhances the next. And, uh, you know, whether it be the hand-eye coordination that that you get from certain sports, you know, baseball, you just have to be so in tune and laser focused. Uh, football teaches you hard work. Everything about our game's hard, so that toughens you, it hardens you. Uh, basketball, you know, I had a basketball coach my freshman year of high school who had played basketball at Navy, and you don't think those practices were hard? I mean, we practiced it for two weeks without the ball. You know, oh, as one of those coaches, and I, I'd never been in such good physical shape as I was that freshman year because we just ran and ran and ran and ran, but we played hellacious defense. We got up in people's faces and it was press all game long and it was fun, you know. So those are the memories that I have from growing up. And I think it's so important. It's so beneficial. It's just healthy mentally. And then I think it makes for better athletes. I I hear baseball scouts all the time saying we've lost all our athleticism. We have really skilled players because these kids play year round, but we've lost our athleticism in the game. 
And so what do they do? They start recruiting football players who played baseball maybe when they were a kid and, and just taking flyers on them because they want speed back in their game. They, you know, and so I think these things all come full circle and I think there's going to be a strong movement towards, but it takes coaches. It, it takes coaches like yourself. Uh, you know, I, I remember even college, Denny Green was a great proponent of playing multiple sports. Um, he encouraged guys to go run track. Uh, Stanford, I, I in part picked it. I mean, it's such a great university. They had a tremendous history and lineage of guys who had played football and baseball. Mark Marquez, the legendary baseball coach there, had done it himself. John Elway, uh, Brian Johnson was a quarterback. He ended up catching for years in the big leagues. He was there when I was there. So it just made it really fun, and I think it does. It, it enhanced uh, your skills in, in every other sport um, because you become very well-rounded in, in your athleticism. When we come back, I want to talk to John about his journey to Stanford. As you know, he was highly recruited. He talked about the Lou Holtz stuff. He's not just highly recruited. He's highly scouted as a baseball player. I want to uh, dig into his time at Stanford and then the ultimate conversation that led to his position change that ultimately led to him being a Hall of Fame NFL safety. We'll be right back. Hi, football fans. Trent Dilfer here to tell you that NFLSundayTicket.tv is like having front row seats to every live out-of-market game every Sunday afternoon, no matter where you live. That's a lot of football. And guess what? This season, you get even more football than ever before. 18 weeks of NFL glory right there in your front room. Stream to your favorite device. Just picture it. You put your feet up, kick back, eat snacks. Oh, yeah and stream an insane amount of football. So make your seat a front row seat and catch every second of your favorite players and your favorite teams every Sunday afternoon. To see if you are eligible, go online to nflsundayticket.tv slash sundayready and stream every NFL Sunday Ticket game this season to follow your favorite team no matter where you live. Use promo code DILFER2021 at checkout to save 15%. Exclusive student discounts also available. My life is nuts. Whether I'm coaching high school football on Friday nights, watching college quarterbacks on Saturday, or watching NFL guys rip dimes on Sunday, I am always needing that extra shot of energy, and I live on this triple shot. Starbucks triple shot energy. Extra strength coffee beverage in a can. That Starbucks coffee that you love, ready to drink. Four core flavors, vanilla, dark roast, cafe mocha, and now available in two zero sugar flavors, black and vanilla. So what gives you energy? Find your Starbucks triple shot energy online or at your local store. We're back with John Lynch and John. All right. So you kind of went through your recruiting process. You landed Stanford. Talk to us a little bit, a little bit about why you chose Stanford. Uh, and then uh, you talked about playing a little bit, burning your red shot shirt, but eventually get us to that conversation uh, that you had that ultimately um, made you switch to, to playing safety. You know, what's interesting, Trent, the day I, I got on campus at, at Stanford, I was the number two quarterback. They made me the number two quarterback, and they had a, they had a plan. They wanted to play me right away, and it was going to be some red zone stuff. I could move around fairly good. So that was the plan. And it didn't happen. I think we went to Washington State. That was the first time I got in. That time I got in because of an injury. I remember it was freezing up in the Palouse up there. And I'm standing by the heater, um, you know, and all of a sudden the quarterback was down. And I'm like, 
rigor mortis had set in it, it's freezing <laughs> rain up there and i was like this is an awesome time to go get my first action as a as a, a collegiate but so I, I go in and you know i i think i threw the ball 14 times my freshman year you know i'm, I'm excited for spring ball i'm playing baseball but kind of going back and forth i mean the you know we have pictures of me playing in the spring game and then being in the parking lot and changing getting getting food with my parents before i went down and played in the you know would jump in as a reliever in the baseball game and uh it you know it's so fun i think about you know, playing multiple sports growing up. So people say, how hard was that? Well, it's just kind of what I knew. And so it's what you did. But I go freshman year and I really gave it a good run, um, you know, to be the starting quarterback. Uh, I don't quite get it, but they say, hey, you're hanging, you're coming strong, like hang in there. You're, you're going to be our starter. It's just, you, you didn't quite earn it. Um, I'll, I'll never forget. I was, I was, you know, I stayed home from going to Omaha our freshman year and our our Stanford baseball team that year, maybe the greatest college baseball team of all time. We weren't because we ultimately didn't win it. And we got shocked by Georgia down in Omaha, but I chose to stay home from Omaha to compete for the starting job in football. And uh, I remember thinking my thought process is, I'll, we'll go back to Omaha every year. Well, we never went back. They started the Super Regional. We never went back. Sophomore year, same thing. I kind of play sparingly. But that spring I go in and I thought I had won the starting quarterback job. I really did. I, I thought I had earned it. Uh, you know, I, I think that a lot of the coaches did it. The last minute they decided to kind of go, you know, and he's a good friend to this day, a guy named Jason Columbus wins the starting job. And Jason wasn't a guy, you know, a huge arm. He was very proficient, was going to dink and dunk and um, he had hurt his shoulder. So, he, you know, he really couldn't throw. And I was just so disillusioned and baseball had started to go well. I just kind of going into that junior year, I showed up and uh, I'm the number two quarterback again. And I just, I'd always been in, I think like what you call an energy giver to a building. And I was start, I was coming in and I didn't feel like I was that guy. I was just, something was on my mind. And I just, baseball was taking off. The scouts are saying, you're going to be a high draft choice. Um, and I just said, you know what? I'm either transferring and going to go play quarterback somewhere. I'm tired of being the number two. And one, one day something compelled me to walk into Denny Green's office and all the defensive coaches would always say, man, you'd be a great uh, linebacker. You'd be a great safety, you know, like they'd always throw it in my ear. And I walked in Denny's office and I just, I, I think I went in there with the, with the thought of, hey, I'm, I'm leaving if, if something doesn't change. And I walked out of safety, you know, and so, <laughs> um, and Denny begged me not to do it. He said, you're one snap away from playing, you know, uh, I understand your frustration. I'm there. You know, I do think you're eventually going to win this job. We just, we, you know, we want you to earn it. And I, I said, no, that I'm tired of hearing that with all due respect, coach green, I want to play. And so he first says linebacker. And I said, no, nah, I think safety is my position. And I walked out of his office of safety and, uh, you know, the, the rest is kind of history. Although it wasn't, you know, I talked about it in my hall of fame speech that year I go and I start the first two games on defense and I'm leading the team in tackles. We had lost both of them. And there was a senior uh, guy named Albert Richardson and they replaced me, put him in. And I kind of played in packages the rest of the year, probably played 50% of our snaps. Um, later that junior year, I'm drafted in the second round by the Florida Marlins in their first year of existence. Um, the catcher, Charles Johnson, he was the first pick. I was the second pick. I kind of thought that's 
you know, look, my passion is football, but baseball is just going to be a smarter decision. Meanwhile, Denny Green leaves for the Minnesota Vikings, and we have a, a coaching search that lasts about a month, and, and they named this guy named Bill Walsh, our coach. And uh, about two weeks into his, you know, being around the offices, I get a call from him, and it, it went something like this. And, you know, first of all, I thought, you know, you hear this story often when someone of his ilk is calling you that you think your buddies are pranking you. I really did. I said, yeah, yeah, right. Um, he goes, no, this is this is Bill Walsh. <laughs> and I said, oh, I'm so sorry, Coach Walsh. Um, I couldn't even speak. And he said, hey, I just want to tell you, like, I, I've been watching our, our film, and I know you played in a limited fashion, but there is no doubt in my mind you were our best defensive player. And I know you've been drafted by the uh, – by the Marlins now, and you got a great opportunity there. I'm just here to tell you, I think you can be a Pro Bowl safety. And I, I'll never forget um, conjuring up the courage to say, Coach Walsh, like I know you have a new job and it's a big job. You know, we had started to have some success. Uh, we were eight and four my junior year, went to a great bowl game. But I said, and I know you're building a team, but please come on. I, I know you're recruiting. You want every player back. I played half the snaps in my first year. What? And he goes, you know what? Come into my office next week. I took that step. I went into his office. And in, in, you know, as I said in my Hall of Fame speech, in true Bill Walsh fashion, he not only told me, he showed me. And he had made a tape. And he had obviously coached one of the greatest safeties of all time, probably the greatest in, in Ronnie Lott. And this tape had 10 plays. Five were Ronnie, five were me. And it showed Ronnie blitzing on a strip sack on the quarterback. Then it showed me doing the same thing. Then it would show like a, a play Ronnie made in the box and then a play I made in the block box my junior year. It showed an interception of Ronnie, then an interception I had made and it, it had five plays. And he said, what do you think now? And I said, oh man, I'm all in. And then I had to go call the Marlins and say, hey, you know how you know I was talking about giving up football? I'm not doing that anymore. And they, they weren't too happy with me, but um, you know, I came back my senior year and it kind of took off instantly. Had a tremendous senior year, played some of the best football I ever played, and and uh, you know really found that football was my passion. And uh, I love baseball, but football was was something I was passionate about. And then I found a home at the safety position, and and uh, things kind of again gained a lot of clarity that year. All right, we're going to get into your history as a nine-time Pro Bowl Hall of Fame safety, but looking at the quarterbacks you play against. But I want to do some fun questions first. First of all, let's go back. The last thing we'll talk about is you being a quarterback. As you were a quarterback, and let's say at Stanford too, because that's your passion, it's your dream, you're the number two, you're trying to become the number one. Who's the quarterback you kind of looked at and modeled your game after or wanted to be like? Uh, I you know, I told you the story about my senior year, Jack Newmeyer coming down. Yep. And so the coolest thing about that experience was Jack was an old school coach. And so we we had moved to beta, you know, putting the tape in, but he yep. liked the old 16 millimeter and he had a bunch of film. Of, it, tape yeah. It. Yep. Oh yeah. Yep. So we set up shop in my parents' garage, you know, on Uno Verde court, 1508 Uno Verde court. And Coach Newmeyer, after we do practice every day, we'd take the quarterbacks back to our garage and we'd put that 16 millimeter. And he had tape of Elway in high school. I mean, it's some of the greatest stuff I've ever seen. Yep. And we called it Bronco Pass. You would just, you, you would, you would be in the gun, you'd have trips right, and they'd flood the zone. One guy to the flat, one guy to the corner, one guy to the go. 
and you'd always have the backside guy running a post and you'd wear the flood action to the strong side out until that safety started cheating. And then in the second quarter or something, you'd, you'd go boom, 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 and then throw back and throw that post. And I remember some of the coolest stuff I'd ever seen, Trent, was Elway in high school. And you always hear these stories and the legend gets bigger. Man, I saw this guy throw the ball 65 yards. Rarely in an NFL game does a ball get thrown in an NFL game, let alone a high school game. Well, I saw John Elway in the Shrine game. It was really cool tape because it was he on one team and Tom Ramsey, who played some quality quarterback at UCLA. And John would, in his pigeon toe deal, he looked just like he did, would roll out. And I saw him throw that backside post, and I promise you, it, tra it traveled. I think it was 67 yards in the air, hit the guy in stride. And that guy just, Elway became my idol like that summer. And I, I used to walk around Torrey Pines High School pigeon toed and, uh, you know, <laughs> thinking like, man, if I walk like this dude, I might start playing like him. And, and so that became the poster I had. And, you know, he was such a tremendous, there were so many parallels, football, baseball, this coach I was now playing for. So that was really my guy. The other guy I would point to, I grew up a Charger fan in San Diego and my dad had radio stations and they had, they were the flagship stations. So my dad would always work during the games. He'd be up in a suite entertaining clients and, and me and my siblings, my older sister, Karen, my younger brother, Ryan had seats in the stands, but it was Dan Fouts waddling back, you know, and then hitting, um, you know, such a, way ahead of their time with Kellen Winslow and Charlie Joyner and Wes Chandler, but Dan Fouts. Um, I remember getting an award from Dan Fouts when I was at the Boys and Girls Club and he came and gave the Youth of the Year and I received it from Dan Fouts. And, you know, to meet Dan later and to meet John later and share those stories, that's it's just really fun. Not just meet John later, but work closely with him. Uh, talk to me about this. Because you're one of the few people that played football and baseball at very, very high levels together, do you view Bo Jackson as the greatest athlete of all time because of his ability to do both at a high level in professional sports? Yeah, it, it, I mean, I, I do. I, 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 the challenge I ran into, and I think where it became tough in and, and the time, I was a pitcher. And so pitchers back then, it, you know, this was the early 90s. I remember being at Florida, uh, the Marlins, and I, I was just lifting dumbbells. But I remember, like, the scouting director wanting to find me because I was lifting weights, and that wasn't. That, that shouldn't have gone together with, with a pitcher. That's not how pitchers trained. You didn't touch weights. And so there was a real, like everything I was doing, they were getting mad at because I said, no, man, I'm just training. This is what I've always done. You know, so I think playing the pitcher position, but Bo, man, oh, he was so skilled. And you talk about athlete, not the greatest player, but the greatest athlete. I mean, you, you look at, you know, in the all-star game, running up the, up the fence, some of the runs he had in football, I'll never, never forget the Bosworth. And then you talk to people who played. That That is when you really, like, man, the things this guy would do, it's just beyond belief. So I think he is, um, you know, I think Elway is one of the greatest. I mean, Elway. I, you know, I play a lot of golf with John, and he does things you you have as well. Um, I think, you know, that kind of athleticism. And I, I always ask John, like, would you run in the 40? And it would show like, you know, in, in the system we all have, it, it will go way back on some. And I think John at a regional combine ran like a four seven, but I always remember him out running guys that ran f supposedly four four. So, you know, he, and one day John said, you know, Johnny, 
I kind of ran as fast as I needed to. And I think that's <laughs> what great athletes do. You know, they, they have that ability, whatever the situation calls for, they're able to pull out, pull it out of their hat. And so Deion Sanders is pretty special too. I mean, the fact he was doing it concurrently, going from one game to the next at the highest level and, and doing it. At, I mean, when he, poured the bucket on Tim McCarver or whatever. This guy was getting hits and a huge contributor to their World Series win and then playing in a football game that same week. That's just, un I don't think people have any idea how hard that is. Yeah, that's crazy. We're going to get to another break. When we get back, we're going to talk, about, talk to John about his thoughts on the great quarterbacks he played with. Played against, sorry, he didn't play with many. <laughs> he had to play with me for six years. Uh, uh, played against and... Kind of the commonalities of those quarterbacks, as well as now is he's one of the best GMs in all of the National Football League, and now he's having to evaluate these same quarterbacks. We'll be right back. It's good to see the teams back out on the gridiron. Lucky for us, that was just week one. DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of the NFL, is putting you in the center of the action for week two. New customers can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit by signing up using code DILFER. Get in on the action now. It's simple. Just pick your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Feel the NFL action like never before with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Download the DraftKings app now and use code DILFER. This week, new customers can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Enter code DILFER to get a free shot at millions in total prizes with your first deposit. That's code DILFER, only at DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of the NFL. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. John, in your career in the NFL you played against some of the great quarterbacks of all time I'll just let you talk about some of them but try to get the audiences from your hall of fame lens 30,000 feet up there what are some commonalities of all these great quarterbacks and, and what made it difficult about playing them yeah well I, I'll just take you back to my rookie year Trent and you know I think back to the run that I went on and I think back so the first preseason game I ever played in uh Elway it was the Denver Broncos. They came to Tampa. And I'll never forget the, the first play of that game. I got a start. We were playing. I was playing a bucko linebacker, as yep, you know. Remember that. Peters. Oh, I remember yeah. that. But, uh, you know, I told this story at, at John's 50th birthday party. So I had got to meet John just a few times as a high school kid, really, at Charger games because of my high school coach, Jack Newmeyer. Met him on the field. Then at Stanford a couple times. But I really didn't know John well. And we're playing them in my first preseason game ever where uh, Sam Weish is our coach. And I get the start on the second play of the game. He goes, red 90, red 90, Johnny Lynch. <laughs> and and, and uh, I walked back to the huddle and John played three plays in that game, came out kind of like a, you know, it was the first preseason game. I walked back to the huddle and Hardy Nickerson and Martin Mayhew and Brian, how do you know Elway? I said, oh, we're tight, you know. And John later said, man, I was just trying to make you laugh because you were so, like, intense. And I was, you were a Stanford guy. You had played for my coach. I was trying to help you out. And so that helped. But then in that same preseason, we next go down. And I had no idea. I knew these guys were great. But we go scrimmage the Dolphins, and we're playing Dan Marino. And then we go to Orlando, and we play the Buffalo Bills and Jim Kelly. And then we open up. 
um, with Joe Montana and the Kansas City Chiefs in 1993, his first game. I think he hung four on us, four touchdowns. And, uh, you know, funny story in that game, you know, and I think this is something that's real. You know, not only did I play, you know, two two years of uh, college quarterback, but I played in the West Coast system that was so prevalent and still is in our game. And I think it helped me more than anything, just knowing the thought process of, of offenses, um, what they're thinking, how they're attacking things. But it, there, there were also some tangible examples. So in that first game, like on the third play of the game, Martin Mayhew's playing the left corner and we show a blitz look and Joe Montana, I couldn't believe it when he said it. He said, Ray, red, 376 dragon, 376 dragon. And I turned to Martin I know that's drag slant. And so I go, Martin. So Martin should have had a pick. He broke on it, should have had a pick and dropped it, but he had a PBU. It got us off the field against Joe Montana. We were, he's like, great job, Rook. You know, I start, I started that first game and then, in the second quarter, we're on the other side. They now have a formation to the left. We show the same look. Red 377 dragon. And I should have known because Montana winks at me. Well, no. I go, Martin, slant. He ran a slant and go without, a, you know, he, he had obviously talked. on you. <laughs> and he, fortunately, he threw a long foul, foul ball. But Martin Mayhew came back. And you know Martin, nice guy, but could be very intense. Don't you ever, you know what, tell me – something like that on the field again. And so, uh, but that's how I started my NFL career. And I mean, I think those are some of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Went on to play against, uh, you know, the, you know, I lived, uh, played in that era of Manning and, and Brady. Um, there's some other guys, you know, like, you know, I think Steve McNair, I think he's one of the greatest players. I don't know about quarterbacks, but man, you talk about a team that could put uh, a player that could put a team on his back and say let's go and, and man you had to fight him till the very end i uh, always sunday night game let's oh, like, yeah. remember that sunday but, night game where he had like the 80 yard run to beat us or something we had I led do. most of the game and he breaks off some crazy run breaks a bunch of tackles and outruns everybody to beat us on sunday night yeah so i mean he's kind of a subtle one that it's just he always left an imprint certain players that you played against that maybe aren't in that greatest category there's obviously the kirk warners the drew Brees, drew's efficiency was just so incredible the way he played the game. So those are the, the guys, you know, that that uh, that I played against. That Well, my, my first year with you, so 93 is your rookie year, 94 is my rookie year. I get my first start in Candlestick against that 94 Super Bowl Niners team. They have Steve Young now, right? Yeah. Uh, Ricky Waters, Jerry Rice, you're having to play against Steve Young. You played against Brett in the same division all those years, yeah. two, three times for what, three or four years, it was three times. Yep. Um, uh, talk to me a little bit about the uniqueness of Steve and Brett. Well, Steve, I think when you, you know, and I think the numbers bear it, just, just efficiency and precision. You know, Bill Walsh always preached precision and trying to play the perfect game. I think Steve embodied that better. He always went the right place with the ball. You know, we all know, and, and I think we had some background from the Tampa days, just watching him. What an athlete, what a gifted oh. athlete. But but Bill kind of reined in that athleticism and said, let's get to the point where you're first a passer, and then you can you can utilize all that when things break down or in the boot game. And and Steve was just so efficient and, and played the game. I mean, there's some years in there where nobody played it better. Brett's one of the greatest competitors, kind of like, uh, you know, I can't believe I didn't mention Brett. Um, I think the greatest lesson I, I learned from Brett 
uh, Trent, you were involved in some of these games. I'll never forget, you know, those Reggie White, Brett Favre teams. But the environment in Lambeau Field, first of all, it just felt like it was kind of like playing at Notre Dame in college. Like that's where football is meant to be played. The fans knew when to cheer. They were never, never forget walking off there after a playoff game where we got beat, but we had come back and they gave us a standing ovation, you know. Uh, but Brett taught me that in the midst of this thing, as we talked about the hard work, the work ethic, that you know what, this game should be fun, you know. And, and if you're not playing it that way, you're really missing out. And, I, and he taught me that lesson. And I, I was so intent on becoming whatever I could be in this league. And it didn't, you know, my journey, it wasn't, it wasn't until year three that I became a full-time starter. I was a special teams guy and thought about going back to baseball because I was on what I thought at the time was one of the worst franchises in sport. And I can't get on the field as a starter, but I think Brett and playing him early in his career and watching him, I remember being there one time and I think the score was seven, six. It's a, it's a game winning drive. We're up. And I look over and they're playing YMCA and there's Brett in the huddle doing the YMCA smiling as big as, and he'd always talk to you when you tackle. And and he really taught me a great lesson that, man, if you're not having fun, you're not making the most of this opportunity. And I don't think you, if you don't play with a little bit of that, you're not going to play as loose. And, and, and so Brett was great. Remember Dungey used to always tell us, and Tony was so good at like, you know how he could on a Wednesday tell you, if you do this, you'll win. If you do this, this, and with Brett, it was always, this guy's going to throw you three or four balls. Yep. Now here's the deal. They're coming harder than anybody else in the league, but if we catch two or more, we'll beat him. If not, he's too good. He's going to come back. And, and every time we played Brett, that'd be the case. He'd throw you about three or four. If we caught two or more, we'd beat him. If not, he was too good and he was going to find a way to beat you. But really, I think one of the great characters and one of the great players in our game. The Sunday night game in Lambeau, fourth and forever. Hasselback's the backup. He steals Lovey Smith's signal. You guys are in a zero blitz. <laughs> Brett hand signals all go. You're free ru- you have free rushers on Brett. He backpedals and he throws it to Freeman with, what, six inches left in the back of the end zone off his back yeah. foot and beats us. I mean, it, yeah. I, I say it all the time. It was magic. You know, everybody talks about Mahomes doing things that they'd never seen before. I'm like, well, then you're not old enough to have watched Favre in 93 through 96 because he did all these things back then. Yeah, we're he seeing, did. We're just seeing Patrick do them again. Speaking of the Young Bucks, you're in a really interesting seat now, and, and I'm glad we've you know been able to tell your journey as a quarterback, um, you, obviously your Hall of Fame safety careers, the pe- players you played against. Well, now you're evaluating quarterbacks, and it is it's life or death in the NFL of getting this right, correct? Um, he just drafted one, just traded up to draft one. I'm not going to get too much into Trey. I do want to say this though. What are the traits that you're valuing the most these days as you're evaluating quarterbacks? Cause what the audience needs to understand too, is even if you're not drafting one, you're still yeah. evaluating them. So your job never rests. So people understand when you're a GM of an NFL franchise, it's not just the guys they're drafting or positions they're drafting they're evaluating. They're evaluating the entire draft class and grading the whole draft class so that the following year they have uh, some comparables and they compare to years before. So John's been evaluating quarterbacks uh, since the day he became the GM of the Niners. What are the things you value the most? Well, first of all, you know, Trent, I think I'd like to, I think it's way overused that people say, because I hear it about, 
you know, cornerback. I heard about all these positions, toughest position in all the sport. I think it's true with the quarterback position. And, and even in a, in a, in a, yes, it's different than it once was. The Elways and Marinos will be quick to tell you, we don't get, you know, these guys today, you know, don't get hit the way that they used to. And you don't play on AstroTurf, so your head's not hitting, you know, all those type of things. But still, I think the complexities of defense and everything being um, designed to try to mess with, with that one guy. And conversely, if you have one, um, you know, you, you think of Tampa or, excuse me, Indy and New England, they were going to win 12 or 13 a year every year when they had Tom and Peyton. I mean, it was just book it. And it's, okay, what are they going to do in the playoffs? But, you know, so it's such an important position. And so how do you evaluate it? Well, you spend a lot of time, first and foremost, and fortunately for me, I work with a guy who I think has a great grasp of that. He has a, a, a really defined um, idea of exactly what he wants at that position. And then also can play to the different talents. We're in a situation right now with Jimmy uh, Garoppolo and Trey Lance and it looks like going into this year that early on we're going to play both of them and and I think it's going to be really fun I think they both do things and Kyle's great at designing things that highlight the skills of them so I think that's an added bonus for me I play with a head coach who's very involved he meets with the quarterbacks every day so he's got a great eye for exactly what he wants but in that process you know how do we how do we grade it? And I think a lot of the things Bill Walsh, you know, used to think of, uh, you know, first of all, you talk about that requisite arm talent. I, you know, I don't think having, you see it all the time, the guys with the strongest arms aren't always the greatest quarterbacks, but you do, there's a requisite amount that you better have to thrive in this league. And I think so, you know, you want to see that Mike Shanahan's one who taught me that, you know, you want to see at least one example on film where that guy throws it like 55 yards, or you can see a, you know, a comeback that he sizzles, you know. I or he's late and off platform and has the ability to still make the play work. Exactly. You Something know. that pops. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I think uh, kind of this instinct uh, that just the great ones have. Uh, Bill Walsh used to talk about athletic intelligence, you know. Do you have that instinct of playing that position? And I think of my own quarterback journey, when I think back, you know, and it's 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 really interesting for me because I think one of my greatest skills on the defensive side of the ball, I saw the game and I had this idea of see a little, see a lot, see a lot, see nothing. And when I tried to see too much, but I think at the quarterback position, you have to see a lot. And I was always at my best when they get me out of the pocket. I was hell on wheels as a quarterback in that pocket. Things would kind of blurry in there for me. And so, but as soon as I went to safety, I said, man, I found my home because my eye just, and so I do think there's just that, that you can see, you know, when we were studying Trey, one of the things we loved is you could see on film, they didn't throw it a ton. You know, he didn't play a bunch. He played one, one full year, but they ran pro concepts and you could see Trey go one to two to three to four. And it wasn't, you know, you, you know, the look where a guy's just going like that. It was bam, 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 you know, with, with a good base. And so, you know, you look for those. And I think that's that athletic intelligence. I think Bill Walsh, you know, he used to always talk about, you want to, if he was recruiting a college quarterback, you want to find the best athlete in the school, you know, because you can do so much in the nature of that position. I think particularly the way it's going, I'm seeing this trend. And I don't know if you even see it at the high school level, but the defense alignment keep getting bigger, faster. 
and these athletes that are coming out and it's there's not enough good offense alignment so and i think there's such an emphasis on with all these rules set up for offensive success what's the greatest equalizer and that's a defensive front it's the way we build our team so you better have some um you know and and those things come in different packages i think a tom brady kyle called me down like last week and he said i want to show you this this is one of the coolest plays i've ever seen and Tom Brady, and it's one of the most athletic, and it's a play of Tom last year, and it's Aaron Donald rushing, and Tom literally moves like six inches to his right, but completely evades an oncoming Aaron Donald, who nobody else in this league does, and it was just the most subtle of movements and so poised, and so I think that's what you're looking for. Um, accuracy, I think, is so big. Um, and then, you know, Trent, I think you know it, Think of that message my dad sent me um you yep. know you know when i got hurt adversity is going to come at that position it even for the brady's the mannings the montanas the young's the harves that position's hard and it's not just smooth sailing so how are you going to respond when things get tough because they always will and and so that then you you start looking at the kids makeup the leadership does he make people around him better how does he respond after a bat after a pick let's go watch the next series uh, after a loss, let's watch the next game, you know, th those type of things. And, and you try to meet the family and say, okay, how was this kid raised? You know, was he, was he, what kind of environment was he raised? What's, what's his belief system? What's he all about? Talk and so I think all those things. And so it sounds like a broad answer, but at that position, there's so much that goes into it. You're looking for the total package and, uh, everyone's looking for one. I mean, you know, it's uh, when you find a Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> you, you're you're in business, you know. We think you found one of the trade. All right. To be respectful of your time, you're already giving us an hour, John. So cool. Uh, let's end with this, and, and I'll lead, lead you here. Uh, for those of you who don't know, John and I played six years together, as I mentioned earlier, but our relationship is way deeper than that. We've been great friends. We talk often. Our wives are great friends. Uh, when our son got sick, I've shared this story. We lost our son when he was five and a half. John and Linda uh, were two of the first people that came to Lewis Hill Packard at Stanford and, and sat with us and mourned with us and supported us. Uh, John, what I'm getting at is you and Linda have been on an incredible journey. Four kids, an incredible marriage, but that marriage through your NFL career, your broadcast career, which probably would end up being a Hall of Fame broadcast career too. People forget that. Um, and now to your general manager career. Um, just end, this, end it this way. Talk as little as long as you want. Uh, how big a part has your family been weaved into that journey? Yeah, I just think, you know, as you're talking about all that, Trent, you're so kind and so nice. And, you know, I, I just think about how blessed I've been, how blessed we've been, um, and how good this game of football, I think of um, – you know, the relationships, our relationship with you and Cass, you know, and, and it's through good times and bad. It's through winning Super Bowls, but it's also through going through loss with people. And, you know, I tell people that, you know, so often people say, what's it like? You know, what are the people like in the business? Well, some of the greatest people, I'm not talking in football, some of the greatest people that I've ever met, I, I've met in through this game and through whatever facet of, you know, being a general manager, um, you know, um, and, and I think there's something about the game. It's such a team sport. It's a great unifying sport. It brings communities together. It brings races together. It brings people together. And then the thing about it, it's not for everyone. It's hard. So if you're playing it, you kind of, you have a bond based on that alone. It's, 
it's not for everyone and everyone should know that first of all you know like um you know it's it's not and that's not a problem but it's just not for everyone because of the nature of it everything about it hurts it's hard it's 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 physical but because of that you you create these bonds that just last a lifetime and and are strengthened through good times through bad times and i just feel so blessed but you know the the lady right there linda you know you know i i met her Gosh, I mean, in seventh grade, we didn't start dating until after college, but she was with me on this journey every step of the way. And, you know, I talked about my work ethic. I probably know a few people that, that work harder and it's one of it's right there. I mean, I can't get up early enough because she's up already working out. She's organized. She's planned our week and she's just been a rock for me. She was a high level athlete, played tennis at USC, played a little bit kind of the minor leagues of the tennis tour. But I think she knew what what being a high level athlete encompassed. She had four brothers, which is also great training for a wife, you know, because she just gets guys and, and, but she's just been, she's, she's one of the most unbelievable people that I know. And, uh, you know, I see the four kids there and they're all, you know, we've been just so blessed. They're all healthy, happy, uh, tremendous kids. And, uh, you know, Jake, there's a senior at Stanford. He's a walk on, but you know, and he plays personal protector on the punt team, but I'll tell you like, when he's that personal protector, it's the proudest, you know, but I'm, I'm as proud when he's out doing community work. And, and so, yeah, I thought all these emotions came out in the hall of fame speech, but um, you know, when I'm talking to a friend like you, it's, it's, you know, I just realized how blessed I am. And, and my three girls, I mean, you know, the relationship with the dad and his girls, it's just, there's nothing better. And so just uh, blessed beyond belief. And this game's been really good to me. And I, you know, it's interesting talking about the journey because it, it brings up all these, all these, um, all these realities and, yeah. and just feel blessed beyond belief. Well, John, you're obviously one of the greatest football players that ever lived. Uh, you're a great friend. You have an incredible family. Thank you so much for your time. And not only will people just enjoy hearing about your, your journey, uh, but I think there's a lot to unpack here and that they can learn from too, from one of the greatest people I know, Hall of Famer, John Lynch. Thank you. All right, TD. Love you, buddy. Love you too, man. Well, a huge thanks to my dear friend uh, and Hall of Famer, John Lynch. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. A lot a lot in there. Uh, also, a huge thanks uh, to our partner, DraftKings, an official betting partner of the NFL. Uh, we look forward to the future shows coming up. we got some exciting stuff. we got some incredible guests. And we look forward to seeing you again on Beyond the X's and O's. It's good to see the teams back out on the gridiron. Lucky for us, that was just week one. DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of the NFL, is putting you in the center of the action for week two. New customers can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit by signing up using code DILFER. Get in on the action now. It's simple. Just pick your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Feel the NFL action like never before with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Download the DraftKings app now and use code DILFER. This week, new customers can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Enter code DILFER to get a free shot at millions in total prizes with your first deposit. That's code DILFER 
only at DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of the NFL. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details.